Hello everybody and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. Now we're here with another special interview episode. This week we are joined by the amazing Colin Sanson Regan, who you will know as the double for David Tennant. Um, you will probably know him best for his role in Journey's End, in which the 10th Doctor um, spawns a new body, the Metacrisis Doctor, and it was Colin's job to stand in for that. And uh, we've got some amazing stories about working with David, working with Kylie Minogue on the Voyager Dam, and some really interesting Doctor Who behind-the-scenes stories that I don't think you've heard before. So stick around to the end and enjoy. Um, so out of all the jobs you can have, it seems like being David Tennant's body double, doesn't. It, it's not a career movie, it doesn't seem. I, I want to be David Tennant's body double. How does that come about? um by accident or something it wasn't it's 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 not a tick you put in a box that's for sure um you know when you're when your careers officer asks you uh, what are you going to do after school or whatever no, nobody says that um i was with a casting agency that um for whom i had done extra work so you know they put you in a bed in casualty or they uh you know dress you up in a pirate's outfit and get you to walk past the camera in for some random you know uh film and film in bristol and then it's it's always it's on on cutting room floor anyway i've done a whole bunch of these different things i've done um some creature work for torchwood which was fun where you dress up i rather than don't dress big give you the big costume and it's night shoots and so we're in like abandoned churches and uh you know kind of car parks and uh, the back streets of cardiff crawling around um in scary suits so that was that was fun actually and I'd, that was all I'd done, really. And then I got a call um, one day asking, could I come in? Uh, and they didn't say exactly, they didn't say what it was for. Um, so that I went in in the morning and usually as an extra, you're, you're put on the bus, you know, or, or shoved away somewhere and they come and get you some time in the afternoon, then leave you standing in the cold for a couple of hours. And, but this time the AD came out to meet me said, oh, it's wonderful to see you. Here's your trailer. And led me to a trailer and opened up the door and said, oh, you'll be needing, you'll, can you put that on, please? And pointed to David, the suit, the Doctor Who suit. Now, bear in mind, nobody told me what was going on. I just thought I was coming to do an extras gig. Um, and I, I said, okay, and I stepped inside and she closed the door. And I was thinking, I'd really, okay, I'll put it on. And then she opened up opened back up the door and said, oh, you need this and handed me a script. And uh, yeah, and so this was at, you know, half past seven in the morning or something like that. And I was like, I'm not sure um, what's going on here. So, and I had looked through the script and it was for the, um, oh, what was, what was the one with the Titanic in the sky? I can never remember the name of it. It was a Christmas special. So that was it. That was it. Voyage of the Dam. That's right. Um, so I had to call her back and say, sorry, can you just explain why Why do I have to, why am I putting the suit on and why have you just handed me a script? And uh, and she said, oh yeah, okay, so David's not here today. And we did a whole scene, which was, um, uh, which, we've, which we've shot from all the other angles. Uh, or rather we shot it with a, with a tra- with the camera trained on David. Um, but he's not able to be here today, so we want to continue shooting the scene, but do it from the other. So getting the other actors' lines in, 
so the idea with me learning the learning the script was that um, the other actors had to do their lines. And so I would just respond. I didn't have to act at all because that would be cut out because they had all the shots of David saying his lines. Um, so they, so that's how they set it up anyway. Um, and so lo and behold, I was in the, I was my, you know, my first job was being in a scene with uh, Kylie Minogue and various other people, and and actually having to deliver lines as it as as the doctor. Um, and I said, as long as everyone knows I'm not an actor, and I'm not I'm not even going to try and act. I'm just going to give the line. Tell me where to stand. Tell me exactly what to do so I can't get it wrong. Tell me where to stand, when to move, because he had certain movements as well that I had to match up. So they had to, you know, it was a case of looking back from the take the day before and saying, okay, well, at that on that line, you'll have to move to there, um, and et cetera, et cetera. So that was it. So it was a pretty intense first day. Um, and it was just take, you know, I, you just take it as it comes, and and and, and I just did my best really. And after at the end of the day, they said that's great. Um, can you come back tomorrow? Oh, there's some pickup shots we want to do as well, where there's because that had um, uh, angels in it, and there's one point where the where the, I think there was one of the halos or something dropped at the doctor's feet. Something had happened anyway. Um, where it was just a shot of his feet, something had happened where something fell at his feet. I can't remember exactly now. So then they did that shot as well. And then the director, I think the next day thought, here, there's a bunch of these we can pick up shots that we can do um, and just make use of you while you're here. And after that, they got me back more times after that. Um, so they continued to get me back for that, um, for that episode because David had gone to uh, Scotland and uh, it was the family thing. I think his, his mum wasn't well. Um, and so, so it was handy having me there. Um, so they, they, continu they continued to get me back. And then every now and then they'd, I'd get a call to come back for something else, um, like a shot of him running in the distance. They'd say, okay, we'll do a second unit on that and just get Cullum to do the running while David's busy in the, you know, in the, in the, on set. So I got in for that, some of that, kind of learned how to run like David Tennant. Um, and then, and then the big, the one I spent most time on was the um, Journey's End, where there, the, where there's the double doctor. There's everybody who's in that. So you had Catherine Tate and Billy Piper and uh, John Barrowman, and um, it was really, it was a lot of fun to be on because they were having an absolute blast. All of them, they were really enjoying themselves. Noel Clark, and it was, it was like a really interesting bunch of people. Um, and they were all getting on really well. And I was just kind of in the middle of it, not really saying very much, just standing where I was supposed to stand, doing what I was supposed to do. Um, I did get to fly the, uh, the, you know, got to fly the TARDIS. Um, got, got instructions from, from the doctor on how to fly the TARDIS convincingly and stuff like that. So it was, it was great. What's it like then when you're in that scenario and you're looking around and like you said, you're seeing Billy, you're seeing Catherine, you're seeing David. Is it a very pinch yourself moment? Because at that point, the series was at its peak almost. It hasn't really reached viewing figures since then. So there must be a thing of going, this is really mental. as sort of an outsider sort of looking in. Yeah, it was. And the thing is that I, I wasn't, growing up in Ireland, I didn't, I never watched Doctor Who. I didn't have big um, exposure to it at all. So my first doctor I saw was Christopher Eccleston. 
and uh, that was great. I mean, I'm a fan of Christopher Eccleston anyway, so I totally bought into it. Uh, and then, um, but I didn't have the big back history that, uh, you know, and that emotional attachment that a lot of people have with it, with the show. So I was coming in as kind of an, an outsider who didn't really know too much about the mythology or the backstories of the show or, or you know, um, and, and so I only, I only kind of realized not what a big deal it was, but I kind of, there's a couple of friends of mine when I told them what I was doing, you know, their, their mouths dropped and their head went to the side. They're like, what the, you know, can you, uh, you know, can you take any photographs and can you do this? And of course you can't on set, you can't do any of that. Um, but they were, their excitement then kind of made me excited. Like they were really, really into it. And, you know, can we meet at the end of the week and please tell us everything kind of thing. Um, and then of course, when, um, when the Voyage of the Damned came out at Christmas, and it was a massive hit, wasn't it? It was just like, the, it was Doctor Who fever around that time. I think that's the most viewed episode that there's been since the show came back in 2005. That's the highest episode viewing. It was. Viewed. Yeah, it was huge, yeah. So um, so I just thought, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. And then when I kept getting called back, I, each time I thought, this is, this is cool, I'm good with this. Um, and I just kind of, kept kept my kept my mouth shut and stood where I was told to stand and stuff like that um and you know there was interaction with with uh, with people on set and uh David was really nice to me he's a very interesting guy and he's 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 very interested in in people so he was um that that's how he came across to me anyway he was always uh asking about people in there kind of how they were and kind of know details about the different cameramen about you know what I mean different stuff about their lives so they could he could do conversation I was releasing an album as well at the time so there's a lot of conversation about studio work and kind of writing songs and and the different kind of artistic processes and stuff like that so it was an interesting it was you know it was an interesting time for me um and then plus the Doctor Who thing was thrown into it and as well my first child was my wife was having my uh the our first child as well all around that time so it was there was just a lot <laughs> a lot going on incredible i think the thing that shocks me the most about the story of you getting involved with the show is that it wasn't until you got there that you found out that was your job like i can't imagine who was it have been your manager or someone who kind of dropped the memo? Oh yeah, um, Colin looks like David Tennant from behind. <laughs> Do you have any idea how that conversation came about that you were given that role? They just literally, they just must have gone through the, the, the files on who they had on their books, who is approximately the same height and same hair color. Cause on the, um, the question that was asked to me on the, uh, from the agency the night before because it wasn't during the day they called me it was at night and usually they don't do that you get a, a, a text message or something during the day but this was in the evening this is after dinner time also eight o'clock or something um uh so and and they said do you mind having a haircut and i said no i don't mind at all but that was the only kind of indication they gave me that 
something out of the ordinary might be might be going on. So that was what the haircut was for. And then I went in to get my haircut and I didn't know that Kylie Minogue was part of this show at all. I didn't know what was going on. So I went in to get my haircut and this I heard this Australian voice and looked around there and says, um, you know, little Australian lady um, turned around saying hello to me and I said hello. And then as I sat there, it kind of dawned on me, hang on a second. Um, no, not really. So, I, you know, I didn't say anything, but sure enough, I gathered very quickly that, yeah, it was Kylie Minogue. There's worse and haircuts so, to have than David Tennant's. It was, I think most people it, would like that haircut. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was just very surreal, you know. It was very surreal. Uh, and then that weekend, I had a gig in Leicester, and uh, me and the band were going, and I said, got in the car with the boys, uh, and said, okay, you've got to guess who I've been working with this week. And so we, we got past Birmingham. And they still hadn't guessed, you know, this is driving from Cardiff. Um, and they still hadn't guessed. I had to tell them eventually, but we had, you know, it was kind of somewhere between Birmingham and Leicester that I, I finally let it slip. Or I finally told them, but it was all that time they had gone through so many different people. But um, so, yeah. And then, like I said, when I when I told them what I was doing, um, the kind of the, the big deal of, of what Doctor Who was culturally, I think, then I started to appreciate it. And then I started to investigate it a bit more and realized that, because like I said, I was coming from a, from a position of, oh, that's just a TV show that, I, that I've heard about. But it's a big deal in the UK. It's massive, isn't it? It's like, and in the US as well, actually, now. But it has been in the UK for, for a long time. Um, and in the US, I've got, you know, a lot of contacts I've made um, have, have come through the Doctor Who stuff. Um, in the US because they've got all sorts of conventions and everything there and it's a big it's a big deal there as well yeah I was going to ask do you get approached about conventions a lot then is that a side of the fandom that you've invested in or not invested so much time in I did I did a couple of conventions around the UK um, must be six years ago because just before my first book came out and so I didn't actually have a copy of my book which was annoying because it was it was. Uh, it still hadn't come back from the publisher. Um. So, so at the conventions, I was just standing there in front of a table, you know, which should be full of books and kind of yeah. to sell or give leaflets to sell. I was just sitting <laughs> a blank table, um, uh, in the suit, and I had my hair done like him as well. And sure enough, you had people who who um who knew who I was just because they were such uh, fans and had kind of you know scoured the credits list or whatever they did um, and I got a little bit in in the in the kind of behind the scenes documentary as well there's a little clip of me in that um, so I did a bunch of conventions around that time um, and I'd never been to a sci-fi convention before so that was that was entertaining as well I mean you know you don't often get two Chewbacca's in a room uh, but uh, uh, this this one was, yeah. So it sounds like you're definitely coming from outside. Obviously, you've mentioned being in a band and writing books. This Boulder double work is by no means your main line of work. Or is it that you were coming from, coming into all this? Um, I had joined the casting agency because I was um, I was working on an album, and albums suck up money. So I was also doing gigs. 
but I joined the casting agency just to get extra money in. And because, um, I mean, no, since then I've gone on to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm teaching now. Um, but bef bef at that point, I didn't have a PGCE or anything. I didn't have any qualifications to teach. So, and as well, the fact that I have a couple of books published, that has helped me get teaching at uh, the teaching position because I'm a, you know, a functioning writer. Uh, if, if, if there's such a proper thing, anyway. Um, so I was, I was coming from that situation where I was just purely from a musical background and I, I didn't have any investment in any of the jobs I was getting in terms of the casting. You got people when you when you join that when you join that extra crew in the casting. You get people there who are um, training to be actors or are actors and are between jobs and stuff like that. So they're all in that kind of environment, and this is their natural uh, scene. And they've all got aspirations within that industry, but I didn't at all. Um, so I did feel like a you know kind of like an outsider, in, um, or at least at the fringes when. When you're on the when you're on the casting bus and all the conversations are going on, it was you know I was kind of on the fringes of that. I was never never in in the middle of it. Yeah. yeah. But when in when David announced that he was leaving the show, I'm not sure how much involvement or how much you, sorry how much he knew about that before he announced it. But when that announcement comes, is it almost like oh that's my job gone as well? Like or do you then get given new roles within that crew or how does that work for you? Um, they, the, I think the last thing I did was uh, called um, A Girl in the Fireplace, which wasn't actually, it was a, it wasn't a Doctor Who, it was um, one from within that universe. It was his old, it's terrible now that I don't even know her name. It was his oh, I think you might be referring to um, the Sarah Jane Adventures, I believe. Yes. Yes. That's, that's what I, that's what I'm talking about. So it was, it was in one of those. Um, and uh, that was the last one I did. And everybody's been really nice to me. Um, and I think that they, because by then the crew, you know what I mean? The, and then, you know, I built up relationships in, just in terms of very casual ones, but nonetheless, the crew knew me and uh, yeah. I kind of knew some of them. So, um, so I think that they, they knew that was the last one because that was after... Um, after Journey's End and everything. Um, so, but I didn't, I didn't really put myself forward for anything else. I didn't renew my, um, uh, I didn't renew my membership with the casting agency once it expired after that. I kind of thought, you know, I'll leave it there. That's quite, that's quite a nice place to leave it. I don't want to um, go back to standing in a field for six hours to be in the background of some shot, um, you know, and then, well, as it happened, there was money coming in from elsewhere, so I could actually, you know what I mean? I wasn't dependent on it. Um, uh, so, no, it just felt like a, 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 just a weird kind of chapter that happened and that I didn't, I didn't have any kind of aspirations or investment in it. It was just something that kind of happened to me for a while and then it, then it finished. So... Um, and I didn't have any kind of emotional attachment to it. It was fun and it was weird, you know, set all that time. Tell you what I really liked was just watching, being on set all that time and watching all the work that happened and watching how the directors did their work and how they, 
dealt with the cameraman and the and the and the cast and how the cast and the director kind of figured out the the, the way they were doing each scene. So some scenes went bang, 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 dead easy, no problem. Everybody knew what they were doing. Other scenes required work and a lot of talk. And I was I felt in a privileged situation because I didn't have to be involved in it. I didn't have to make any decisions. I was just like a fly on the wall to all this stuff. And I mean, in my short stories, the short stories I released last year, there, there's um, three stories in there about people making uh, movies. And I think that came directly from my experiences of working on the, working on the sets there. Yeah, um, I was say, perfect segue there, fly on the wall to, to, to the two books you have cleverly placed behind you there. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. How does something like that come around? Because that's very, it seems from talking to you for this last half hour, you are a musician, um, where still are actor extra and now author and teacher. What, where, uh, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's when, um, uh, instead, instead, I didn't go to university when I was uh, when I left school. In fact, I, I uh, dropped out of the last year of school, um, and and just busked instead. Took my guitar and busked. And the two things that I loved was uh, music and writing. And I made a decision then uh, that if I couldn't do it with it, if I couldn't do it with a pen and a guitar, with a pen or a guitar, then I wasn't really going to try and do it. The only two ways I was going to try and interact and support and, and build something for myself was through the guitar and the pen. Uh, but I also thought, look, I'm not really going to have anything to write about until I'm in my 50s, probably. So I better get busy with the guitar because I couldn't play it very well. So I had to get busy with that and learn how to play it and learn how to sing and all that stuff. I wasn't very good at that either. But when you close off all the other avenues to, you, to yourself, and you just leave yourself with one thing. And because I loved it so much, I mean, there's a certain kind of... Um, uh, there is, there's, there's, for me, music is, is, it touches kind of spirituality as well as other things. There's something deep in music that, that soothes me in some way, let's put it that way, on, on, on different levels. Um, so, uh, so I just devoted myself to music then. Um, always with the the thing of I was always writing I was always writing just bits and pieces um, with the idea that somewhere when I'm older and I've got some good experiences I'll write something um, uh, so 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 that was that that was that and then um, as it happened I started to write the fly guy um, uh, in my uh, yeah in my 30s so it was before I kind of anticipated doing it, um, and I I got very I got very deep into it. It was something I couldn't really let go of. It started off as a short story, which I couldn't make sense of. It tro- it, it bothered me. I, I wrote it, and usually when I because I love short stories, I love the form, and you can step away from them pretty quickly. They don't take up your entire yeah. life, you know. Um, and I'd written this short story, and I it didn't make sense to me and it was something was troubling me about it. And then I realized one uh, driving back from a gig one night, actually, um, when the, uh, the, the radio was broken in the car. And I realized that uh, I had the beginning and the end of a, of a long narrative there. 
that's why it didn't make sense because I actually had right the right at the beginning, right at the end, those two scenes stuck together. And that was it. Then I thought, oh, I'm going to have to try and fill in that middle bit. And I didn't anticipate how long it would be, and it turned into a novel. Um, and that was that was mostly me coming back from gigs um, and uh, sitting um, either in, in front of a, a pad or the laptop at about one o'clock in the morning and writing till about three or half three when the house came out. Um, and because I didn't, I wasn't teacher or anything at the time, so I didn't have to get up for work. So that worked. Although when I was doing the um, the the extra stuff, I was also editing the book sometimes. So, or or rather the the uh, yeah, I was when that started. So, um, so it was it was something I'd always planned to do. It just came along sooner than I thought it did, and almost uh, by accident. I didn't say, "Oh, I know, I'm going to write a novel now and plot it out." I wrote something that confused me. I tried to make sense of it and it just grew and grew and grew till I thought, all right, I've got it. I've got it this much. I might as well try and try and finish it. And then after that, I was lucky with my, uh, with my publisher. I had sent it off to agents and publishers in the UK and got the usual amount of rejections as authors do. And, um, and then uh, speaking to somebody who was a Doctor Who fan in the States. And she said, have you tried approaching American publishers? And I said, no, I haven't. I never thought of that. And she said, well, what difference does it make where it's published? Because, you know, it, a lot of now it's print on demand, a lot of the books you do. So they don't print off thousands of books and then try and sell them. Um, when they get an order in, it's, it, that order is printed and sent. So they'd have, uh, you know, a print on demand uh, in the UK. So if you ordered in the UK, it would be printed and sent in the UK. So it's kind of the new the newer model of, of publishing. So in that sense, it doesn't matter where your publisher is based. And there's a lot of independent publishers in, in America, much more than in the UK. Um, so I said, okay, that's a great idea, but you know what? I'm 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 tired of sending it out. I don't I don't know if I've got it in me to to write another, you know, to, to keep sending it out because I've gotten that many rejections. And she said, I'll be your agent. I said, but you're not an agent. She said, yeah, but they don't know that. So I'll, I'll represent you. So she did. She, this person who I got to know, she contacted me because she was putting, listen to this. She contacted me because she was putting together a, um, uh, a little film, which was made up of David Tennant running. Right. So it was a it was a film of just clips of him running, which she had put a, a soundtrack to, and of course all the soundtrack was songs whose theme was running as well. And she noticed that when she was researching this and putting it together, she noticed that there were some things that it wasn't him running it. So she tracked me down and said, "Do I have your permission to include you in in this?" And that's how we. And then she ended up being my agent even though she had no experience in being an agent, nonetheless, she was the one who approached the, um, approached the publisher for me and uh, ended up getting me a book deal. So there you have it. That was our lovely chat with Colin. Thank you so much, Colin, for giving us um, 20 minutes, half an hour of your time. Genuinely such a lovely guy. Um, as mentioned in the interview, 
if you go to the description, if I've remembered, hopefully I have, um, you can find Colm's books there. If not, just bung his name in Google and it's the first result that comes up. So thanks very much once again, guys, for listening. Do subscribe and hopefully we're going to have some more Series 5 guests coming soon because we're moving on to Series 5 next. So perhaps some uh, new calibre of guests are on the way as well. So subscribe, like and all that and uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye.